We are in this, we're starting today. So it's a marriage series unbreakable. Now, if you're single uh, or divorced, you think, oh, this is not for me. Oh, yeah, it really is. Uh, because um, all of uh, the things we talk about in a marriage series, they're all relational issues. And so they're relational for anything. The things we're going to talk about fit in a team, in a family, in a dating relationship, in friendships. It's all relational. But we're going to specifically zoom in, focus on, laser in on marriages. Because I I know for a fact that if you, uh, if in marriage, if if you apply God's truths, I can pretty much guarantee that you will have a 100% success rate in marriage. If you die to yourself and, and apply God's truth, it will succeed, guaranteed. Here's what I know right now without talking to anyone here, that either someone in first, second, or third service today, that one, somebody has, had a first marriage and it just blew up and it was just bad and it was everything wrong because maybe you didn't know how these things work. Maybe you watched mom and dad do it this way and it didn't quite work for you and whatever, whatever, whatever. But then you, you got out of that marriage and it was tough and it was difficult and there was pain and there was hurt. But then you uh, maybe either became a Christian, got married to another Christian, applied the principles of God's word, or you got married and both of you became Christians. You started applying the principles of God's word and you're seeing in your second or third marriage that, man, this is the way marriage should have been because now you're applying the truth of God's word. Any amens on that one right there? Because that's truth right there. And so I believe strongly that God's word has all the truth we need right there. Because you see, the reality is that every one of us in this room, you are broken and I am broken somewhere. Now everyone say amen to that one right there. Everyone is. We all carry... Now some of you say, no, my spouse is, but no, you are too, buddy. Okay, we all carry baggage in some way in our life. You just don't look behind you and see the dust storm of the baggage you're dragging behind you, okay? But we all have baggage. But we know very strongly here that God's truth and the power of the Spirit of God can help us to have a marriage with a 100% success rate. And that's what we really want here at New Beginnings. Now, let me add to that that we do not want your marriage to become a title of a country western song, okay? Now, I looked up some titles, and they're pretty bad, all right? But I'm going to read five of them to you. Here's what we do not want for your marriage currently or your marriage to come if you're divorced or single. Here's, here's, and these are true. I just I couldn't believe it. Here they are. They're funny, but um, here's one. I'm so miserable without you, it's almost like having you here. <laughs> That's kind of bad, huh? Gets worse. Okay. How about this one? How can I miss you if you won't go away? I like this one too. If the phone doesn't ring, it's me. <laughs> I Meaning he's not calling for those of you not laughing or getting it, okay? Or have never laughed in the last decade or whatever, okay? How about, uh, there's my favorite one. It's kind of edgy. Here it goes. It goes, my wife ran off with my best friend. I sure do miss him. <laughs> That's a bad one. <laughs> and the last one is this one. Thank God and Greyhound, she's gone, all right? Now, they're all bad titles, and we don't want your marriage, next marriage, uh, whatever, to, to become a, a title of a country western song. So, we're going to work in the next five weeks on that one right there. We have a key verse. If it's your first time with us, we always have a key verse for the series. This is our key verse that we read every, every message in the, in the current series. There's our new one. Here we go. I want you to read it out loud. It's the only one I'm going to have you read out loud today. I'll count to three, and then you read it. Here we go. One, two, three. And if one 
can overpower him, who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Say three strands. strands. Say it again, three strands. Either I'm not here or not here. I don't hear you guys. Let me try it again. Say three strands. Now, I hear you now. Okay, good. Now, so we'll get to three strands in a second. Our tagline, we have one for every series, is this. Let me read it for you. How to say it, then you'll say it after me. Say it like this. Make this one. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me finish. You guys are eager. I like that. Make this one the best one. Now, all together. Make this one the best one. So we want to make your current marriage... Or your marriage will come, make that one the best one. We want it to be the only, the last marriage you will ever have. So the third strand idea in that verse, two strands are strong. You can ward off an enemy, but three strands, like in rope, you always have that third strand, and it makes it stronger. It keeps it from snapping. Keeps, it makes it unbreakable. So we're going to look at five third strands in the next five weeks. Today... We're going to look at attitude, because how many know that you can develop some pretty bad attitudes towards the people you really should love the most? Any amens? And so we want to look at attitude. We're actually going to look at a New Testament writer, Paul, who hated Christians, didn't want to be a Christian, murdered Christians, then uh, the resurrected Christ is revealed to him, he becomes a Christian, it's a historical fact, and then he writes uh, and evangelizes and writes New Testament letters and he becomes this evangelist. It's just a, a, quite the turnaround in his life. He writes Philippians. So if you have a Bible, turn to chapter 2 of Philippians or if you have an app or if not, it'll be up on the screen for you. I want to go to one verse first, then we'll go back and read the verses as I go through the points. And verse 5 is the first verse. It's on the screen. I'll just read it off the screen first. It says this. It's a description of Paul of Jesus. He says this. <clears throat> Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, look, there's a certain attitude that you should have, Jim Del Campo. And that attitude existed in Jesus Christ. So once the Spirit of God came inside of me, my attitude should start bending towards that Jesus attitude. And the word attitude there, the Greek word that Paul uses is a great word. It means to have an opinion of yourself in yourself. So in other words, I should have an opinion of myself in myself that was already in Jesus Christ. I should have his attitude. And then Paul is going to let us know all about Jesus' attitude. Now we're going to take these attitudinal points and we're going to... Uh, fit them or apply them to marriage, but they fit in relationships. So I'm going to give you three attitudes from these scriptures today. We could probably pull out six, but there's three in there, and then we're going to work it out. I love marriage series because I get to share with you uh, some of the stories about my marriage where I was a real bonehead or I messed it up. And how many like when I share those stories about myself? Where I'm, I bet you do, don't you? Yeah, here we go. So attitude number one is it's not about you. If you want to have an unbreakable marriage or relationship, it's not about you. Never was about you. Shouldn't be about you. Don't make it about you. Now watch verses 2, 3, and 4 of Philippians 2. It says this. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, 
united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do you see the reoccurring idea there? That you should be in oneness. Now he's talking to the body of Christ that we should be moving as a local fellowship in unity together. There should be no divisions or factions. If we're going to push back the gates of hell and win people to Christ, we need to move in unity. That's a big, big deal. We take that idea, same mind, and let's put it into marriage now. Now watch this. How do we have the same mind, same intent, same purpose? Verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Now those are big statements. Let's just focus on selfishness. He says, if you're going to be intent on one purpose, if you're going to work this thing together, you've you got to lose the selfishness. Now, the word selfishness that Paul uses, I love this word because in the Greek, it means this. Watch my hands. I'm going to do some of the hands. Now watch real close. Okay, that's not what I'm doing, but here we go. It means to put yourself forward. So in other words, this is you, this is your spouse, or this is your spouse, and this is you. He says, don't put yourself forward. In other words, by virtue of putting yourself forward, you leave your spouse behind and you divide. Do you see that? Say yes. Now, the underlying word of this Greek word to put yourself forward, there's a root word to that word, and it means to stimulate someone to anger. So in other words, if I put myself first, and, I, and it's all about me, I cause division in the relationship, and I will stimulate my spouse to be angry probably at me. Does that make sense to everyone here? So selfishness is a bad thing, okay? Especially in marriage. It's a bad period. So let me illustrate this. Let me, let me see, I think, why uh, a selfishness is such a prevalent thing uh, besides the fact that we'll see later in the fall of man it is. Um, let me take you back to a time long ago in a galaxy far away. Those of you who were married, think back to when you were single. I will think back to when I was single right now. 38 plus years ago, I was single. Um, we got married when we were three and four years old. <laughs> when I was single, I only thought about one person, myself. I did what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted. I bought whatever I wanted. I spent whatever amount of money I wanted. I ate whatever I want. I didn't have a wife tell me, you shouldn't eat that. I, I, I could do whatever I wanted. It was my needs. I was first. And that wasn't bad because I was single, okay? But then one day this thing happens where this big eyed lady starts, you know, she's got, Olivia's got these big eyes. They just kind of draw you in. She walks by and she's got a, kind of a, an exotic look to me, in, in my opinion. And all of a sudden I, I catch her and she, look, and she looks at me and she's digging me like right away. It's just like... <laughs> It's like evident, man. And, you know, and she starts calling me up, you know, you know. <laughs> Some of you have no clue what that is, do you? That's rotary. Remember back then, they're breaking in. <laughs> You're trying to call the police, but, you know, and hopefully the cables are along and everything, you know. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And so, uh, and so, no, she didn't call me. She wouldn't even call me at all. You know what? But that was good. 
because you came from old school thinking, and for me that worked because this is just me now. Back then, if a girl called me, started calling me, I didn't want to talk to her anymore at all. It was just the way I am. I wanted to pursue, I wanted to win, and I wanted to conquer. Any amens on that, man? Don't be afraid. Don't go, amen. Second service, they're all afraid. All I hear is, amen, man. I said, come on, amen, guys? So I marry her. And for six years, I ruin her life. What are you laughing about? Her? <laughs> I ruin her life. You know why? And I didn't know why at the time, but I know now older in life. I realized that though I was married, I lived as a single, mind, single man mentality. I, it was a very difficult adjustment for Jim Del Campo to become a married man because I lived single and I thought single, that's where I was. And I think there's a little bit of that in every one of us. Let me give you one illustration of a plethora and multiplicities of illustrations that I could share with you. But I'll give you one to show what it was like for me. I remember one day I went running and I used to run a lot back then. I don't anymore run a lot. I run a little bit, but not a lot. And I was running and I went by a friend of mine's house and I thought, I'll stop, knock on the door, see what he's doing. I did, and I, then I spent two hours talking to him. Then I left at his house, and I went running back home. When I got home through the door, do you think Olivia was really happy? Oh, no. Oh, no. She was, where, where have you been? And I'm, and I'm like, what's the big deal? Because I'm thinking like, what's the big deal? I was oblivious to the fact, because it was all about me. And that was just a, a little bit of the way I looked at life because I, I, I thought like a single guy, but now I was a married man. Now let me tell you something. For those of you single people, I'm just going to let you know. Right, I'm going to warn you right now. And divorce me. I'm going to warn you right now. Watch what Paul says about marriage. I don't want to scare you, but I'm going to warn you. Paul says, but if you marry, you have not sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. <laughs> Any amens out there? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Come on. It's the word of God. There's trouble in marriage. You have division, difficulties, arguments. There's kid trouble. There could be financial situations. There's things that happen. There's all, Right? Let me show you what I think may be the biggest trouble, though, as we're talking about, it's not about you. It's not about, by the way, single person, if you're very selfish, it's about you, please, if you get engaged, tell the person you're getting engaged to, I just want you to know, will you marry me? But I'm the most selfish person on the planet. Just let them know ahead of time, then they can decide on what they want to do. Now watch this. Here's, I think, the biggest problem. James 4.1. It says this. This is the half-brother of Jesus, by the way. He says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. Now, the word war literally means you're entering into combat is what it is. And marriage ever feel like combat? Don't raise your hand. But he's saying this, the source of our fights and our conflicts in, in relationships, in this, in this case, marriage, is that our own pleasures. I want what I want, when I want, how I want it. See, 
Don't you ever get tired, some of you, and I know not all of you, don't you ever get tired of coming home and your spouse beat you home and you've been in conflict and you open the door and there's your spouse and they've changed into camouflage face paint. They got a grenade. <laughs> you ever get tired of that one? I do. I got tired of I don't want to be, I want to come home to peace. Any amens? I want to have a peaceful home. I don't want to fight anymore. You win, Olivia, please. No, I'm just joking. So you want to diffuse, if you, if you battle and fight and you want to diffuse it, let me give you something to try. The next time you're in the middle of it, here's what you do. You take a knife. No, don't do that. No, no, no don't. I didn't mean that, okay? Online, I didn't mean that, okay? I knew it is that. No, I'm just joking. That was a Mexican thing, okay? Um, Sometimes my ethnicity comes out, but anyway. Just say this to your spouse, just you. You know what? I know what the problem is. It's me. I just want what I want. If you do that, here's what your spouse is going to do. They won't know what to do with that because you've just taken responsibility. Now, you say, well, it's not my fault. Well, who cares? Men, don't you want to eat dinner? I do. I just want peace. I want, if you just say, it's my fault, it's me, you're right. They can't say anything back to that and it diffuses everything in the moment. It's not about you or me. You get married, it's not about you. The second attitude of Jesus is leverage love, not power. You want the right attitude? Leverage love, don't leverage power. See, some of you in this room, strong personality, huh? Overpower your mate, whether female or male, right? Yeah, man, you're quick with the tongue. You're quick with the mind. You know it. You can spin their head around. How many know what I'm talking about? How many married to a person like that? You cowards, okay, whatever. I know, they're intimidating. But I'm a type A too, they don't intimidate me because I'm a, I'm a type A. So anyway, here it is. Watch what it says about Jesus leveraging love, not power. Verse five and six. Have this attitude in yourselves, as we read earlier, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now watch. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is God. He came a couple thousand years ago. He always existed, but he came at that moment, took on a human body to go to the cross and die for our sins. He was God, but he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't leverage power. He leveraged the cross. He leveraged love to win us over. Now, let me, let me show you something about marriage that I, I have to say periodically so you understand the source and it is a spiritual fallen nature after Adam and Eve sinned problem. But we all have it. It's not in your notes. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, if you're taking notes, want to know something, write that down. Genesis 3, 16. It says this, after Adam and Eve sinned. One of the consequences of the fall and sin is this. It says, a woman, the wife's desire, shall be for her husband. Sounds really cute, huh? I'll explain that in a second. Then the second half of the verse says, but he, the husband, will rule over her. 
huh. Some of you go, I don't like that verse. It sounds like there's inequality. No, it's actually a war verse. Because when it says a wife's desire, the word desire means to run after or run over her husband. But he will rule over her. You hear it? She will want to run over him and he will want to rule over her. Does that sound like fighting words? You better believe that's fighting words right there. Now, next Sunday, when I go through love and respect, remember, in the series on identity, I didn't do chapter 5 of Ephesians because I said I'm going to use that for the marriage series. We're going to go over love and respect on how this works to uh, eliminate this power struggle in marriage. And I'm going to give you clear teaching that maybe you've heard a few, you've got some bad chowder on that, the whole thing about, well, we'll go over it next. I don't want to go into that message. Now, so there's a power struggle. Jesus comes along, shows us a different way. He says, leverage love, not power. I want you to think about Jesus. He's the creator of the universe. They come that night in the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest him. Jesus sees them coming in the dark. They got the torches. And Jesus says, whom do you seek? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, Jesus, I am he. When he says, I am, they all fall down. Is that power? You better believe that's power. They get back up. They come to take him. Peter pulls out a little knife, a little half sword. He slices off a servant's ear. Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on the guy. The guy's healed. You say, oh, how can you Christians believe that? Well, he's God in the flesh. Can't God do whatever he wants? He's supernatural. He can do whatever he wants. If a guy can create the universe, I think putting an ear back on isn't that difficult. Then Jesus tells Peter in that moment, he says, put away the sword. Don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels? Now, a legion can be up to 6,000 soldiers. Jesus just told Peter, I can call down 72,000 angels right now and just mess this crowd up. What do you, I don't need you with a knife. You know that one, just one angel in the Old Testament in Isaiah in one night killed 185,000 attacking Assyrians in one night. What can 72,000 angels do? Does Jesus have power? You better believe it. Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate, he's the governor. He's got all of Rome's authority. He doesn't understand Jesus has more. He tells Jesus, because Jesus won't talk to him. He says, Jesus, don't you know I have the authority to release you or to kill you? And Jesus goes, oh my gosh, you have no clue, buddy. And Jesus says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. What's he saying? He goes, you think you're in charge here? I'm in charge here. I'm leveraging love in my life to go to a cross. I could call down angels. I could stop this in a minute. I got the, you don't have the power, pilot. I do. So, so what does this all mean? In a marriage, in a relationship, you leverage, Jesus leverages love, not power. He had all the power there was. He, he could intimidate. He could use his words. He could, man, turn you into a crow or whatever you want to do. But he doesn't. He leverages love. And in marriage, you want to have the right attitude, you leverage love. You don't leverage power. And you do that with everyone. Leverage love. Don't leverage power. Now, how do you leverage love? Now, that's attitude number three. Now, here it is. 
Third thing is limit yourself by serving them. You limit self to serve your spouse. You limit self to serve your spouse. Now watch verse 7 and 8. It says this, but emptied, say emptied. Try again, say emptied. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, lust says, what can you do for me? Love says, what can I do for you? It's a big difference between the two. Limit yourself by serving them. When it says, Jesus emptied himself. It's another great Greek word Paul uses. The word kenosis. Emptied means kenosis in Greek. Now, to nutshell the word and not go into all the theological discussions of what that means, in a nutshell it means this. He took on the limitations of humanity. In other words, he took on the limitations in that physical body of the position as a human being. He took on limitations, Jesus did, to leverage his life and love for us instead of his power. So he took on the limitations of the position. Let me give you a a dumb example of how that worked for me. When I was single, before I got married, I had a motorcycle. I had a Dodge van with carpeting, paneling, and a kick and stereo. I had a 63 Corvette, convertible hardtop, all at the same time. Pretty cool, huh? I thought I was real cool. I thought. Then I got married. Two years after I got married, I didn't have a motorcycle. I didn't have a cool Dodge van. And I sure didn't have a Corvette. That was all gone now. Why? Well, I had a leverage, you know, the, uh, I leverage love. Or, there was limitations of my position now. And that's what you do in marriage. There's limitations. I limit myself, serve my spouse. You want an unbreakable marriage? That's what you do. Single person. You dating somebody selfish? You better listen to the people around you giving you wisdom. Just please. Because they can see maybe what you can't. Let me talk about this, this selfishness and this, or, or limit self to serve others. Uh, you know, I watch, I look, I see. And there are some things in the culture I don't like. They're contrary to scripture. One of them is, and you've seen that, you're, you're smart people. This, uh, this floating around, and not everybody has it, but it's floating around this entitlement mentality. You ever notice that? They we're propagating this a little more too much now. It's entitlement. And let me tell you what entitlement, it really, what it means. It means that you owe me something. That, that my personal happiness comes at the expense of someone else. You, you owe me that. I think that invades marriage. Let me tell you what I mean. I used to do a lot of marriage counseling. I don't do heart any anymore, really, I don't think. Because I, I don't have the time for it. I, I barely have the time for anything anymore. But I used to do a lot. And, um, and, and you don't want to counsel with me anyway because you come in there, I, I'm a prophet, and I'm going to tell you off in one hour, you're going to cry, and it's going to be bad, and I hate Jim, and it's just going to be bad, okay? I don't know any other way. And what I mean by tell you off is I'm going to tell you straight what it, what it says, not what I think. What I think it feels irrelevant. But what I will hear now and then, now and then, that I think is this, is people, a, a couple, somebody in the couple, a couple would say, oh, they're not meeting my needs. Well, that sounds entitlement to me. A little bit, it sniffs of it. You owe me. 
If you start going down that road in marriage, let me tell you something. Here's what's going to happen. I hope not, but here's what's going to happen. Well, I did this, this, and this for you. Now you do this for me. I now did this, this, this for you. Now you do this for me. I did this for you. Now you do this for me. That's a dangerous place to be in marriage. Because what happens is, if you don't think it's equality there, that they're doing enough for you back, you start adding up in your mind all that you're doing. And if they're not doing enough in your mind, in the addition in your head, then you're going to get ticked off. Now, let me balance and say, you do have legitimate needs and they should be met in marriage. Let me other balance and say, some needs that people have, uh, they are not needs, friend. They're not biblical needs. You don't, you're going down the wrong road. And you need to know what God says about those things. But if I think I'm doing, doing, doing and not getting back or she's not doing or he's not doing as much as me, then pretty soon I'm going to grow bitter towards my spouse. And some of you have been there and some of you are there right now. Because you're looking at it from, you're not meeting my needs, you're not meeting my needs, you're not meeting my needs, you're not meeting my needs. And what happens from there is, we can start to justify bad behavior. I can start to justify, well, you know what? I can justify an affair. You're not meeting my needs. You owe me. Or I can justify, I'm going to go online, look up some old boyfriend or girlfriend online. Yeah, that happens a lot. Huh? Somebody's doing it right here, right now. You need to stop it. Because you're starting to think, well, that, you know, I'd be happy. They'd meet my needs. No, 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 no. Watch yourself. What you really need to do in marriage is you need to have a serving competition. Who can outserve who? Does that make sense? Limit yourself and serve them. Look, here, here, here's the deal. Here, here's the root cause. Isaiah said this, he says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Say own way. See, we all have that problem. We've all turned to our own way. Whatever you want to call it, we've turned to our own way. Now, that destroys oneness in marriage. It destroys unity. And, and, and we're called to oneness. Now, now, I had to think about this. Why, why am I afraid to overserve my spouse? Why am I afraid of that potential inequality? There's a fear there. Listen, listen, listen. The fear is that, well, if I do that... And by the way, don't say that, oh, when they start, I'll start. No, no, don't do that, okay. The fear is I'll be taken advantage of. They're going to take, she, she going to take advantage of me, or I'm going to get disrespected, or I'm going to lose my identity in the whole marriage. That's a lie. That's a lie. First off, you'll be taken on the characteristics of Christ. That's a great identity. But the opposite is true, and that's this. Look at verse 9 and 10. For this reason also, God, for what reason? For all the reasons we read and talked about. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, him is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Whoa, that's the opposite. We're not going to get taken advantage. We're not going to lose our identity. God says, if I live like this, like Jesus is exalted, I will be exalted. I'll be lifted up. That your spouse will look at you like, I got a great deal. Why would I want to trade that one in? 
It will change the trajectory of your marriage. I say this jokingly, you've heard me say it, but down deep inside, I kind of believe it. I tell my wife, when you married me, baby, you won the lotto. (laughs) Well, shouldn't you believe that for yourself in marriage? Shouldn't you? I think you should if you're living right. Hey, you won the lotto. I won the lotto too. I'm not complaining. I love my, 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 my baby. She, oh boy. <laughs> Man, you know what? The reality is as a pastor, when, when you marry a pastor, you know that you must share that person, that man with everybody else. And that's what she's had to do for 38 plus years. She's a saint. But she's... St- Did my wife give you $20? (laughs) But she still won the lotto. You see, I think the lotto this week, I think on the news it said $373 million. You can turn into the $373 million husband or wife and your spouse will exalt you, look up to you, think, man, I got a good deal because you're living like this. People will look and say, they'll exalt you in their mind, think, man, what's the secret to that marriage? They seem to like each other after 10 or 15 or 38 years. Right? You got to have the right attitude. You want an unbreakable marriage? First off, it's not about you. never was about you. Leverage love, not power. And third, Limit self to serve them. If you don't do that, this is not in any notes, but put it on the screen. I found this quote just as a warning. It says, if we live our lives for ourselves, thinking only of our selfish desires and interests, in the end, God will give us exactly what we want, ourselves. What a tragic ending, huh? No, we're here to see marriages make it. Make and break women. This is the first one, guys. We've got four to go. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head.